Hello and welcome to the Talking Indonesia podcast. I'm your host, Dirk Tomza from La Trobe University. COVID-19 is spreading fast in Indonesia and the government seems overwhelmed by the monumental task of combating the virus. President Jokowi has ordered social distancing measures, but there's been much confusion about what exactly that means. The situation is further complicated by disagreements and the lack of coordination between the central government and local administrations at the provincial, municipal and district levels, many of whom are pushing for stricter measures. Meanwhile, the numbers of infections and fatalities keep rising, with many observers fearing that the official figures are actually not even an adequate depiction of, of the real situation on the ground, as many cases are suspected to remain unreported. So in today's podcast, we look at the statistics, the trends and the possible scenarios for the future development of the coronavirus crisis in Indonesia. We discuss how and where the virus has spread in the country, the government's response so far and the policy options for the coming weeks and months. My guest via Zoom is Dr. Riris Andono Ahmad from the Department of Biostatistics, Epidemiology and Population Health at Gajamara University in Yogyakarta. Adoni, welcome to Talking Indonesia. Hi, Dick. Thank you very much for inviting me. Okay, let's get started. We are recording this here today on Monday, the 6th of April. By the time the podcast will go online, on the 9th of April, the number of infection and fatalities will almost certainly have increased. But um, nevertheless, can I start by asking you to give us an update first of the current state of the crisis in Indonesia? How many infections have been reported and um, how many people have died from the virus? As this statistic for today, we have 2,273 confirmed cases. A new cases was reported yesterday was 181. We have 198 cases who died. Uh, so it, the case fatality rate is about 8.7%. And we expect, myself, expect to have increasing reported cases in the upcoming days. So the numbers that you're quoting are the official numbers, is that right? Yes, yes. So there's been much debate about these numbers just, um, I think, yesterday or the day before yesterday, two governors, uh, Juan Kamil and Anis Plaswida, were reported as having cast doubts on these numbers. So how credible are these? I remember that um, in the early days of the crisis, there were some international reports raising question marks about the numbers that were coming out of Indonesia. These doubts have never really disappeared. Can you give us your view? What do you think about these questions about the official figures? Yes, I think in general, it's right that we have a very small diagnosis capacity. Some experts mentioned that our diagnosis capacity is still about 5% of the required. And in the early days, even we test too small for a disease which at that point is very rare. 
uh, and also the diagnosis criteria is very specific. That's why we only test a small number of people. And that's why we miss those window period to contain the disease spread in Indonesia. So in other words, it is likely that um, there are actually a large number of unreported cases. Is that right? Yes. And we believe that uh, the transmission is already sustained in the community. Well, we need to increase our diagnosis capacity far more. How many people have been tested so far? I think there are two types of tests that are being conducted in Indonesia, right? At this point, it's still with the PCR, and it's uh, now uh, from the reported specimen, we have around 11,200 specimen tested. So it's really small compared mm. to what we needed. Yeah, yeah. One other way of looking at how the virus is spreading is to look at the rate at which the number of cases has been doubling. Do you have figures for that for Indonesia? It's around five to seven days, but again, it depends on the capacity of diagnosis. And that's why I expect that we will have far more cases and shorter doubling capacity because now we expand the capacity into uh, 48, 49 labs, and we will have rapid diagnostic tests uh, coming up. So I think we will expect more cases reported in the upcoming days. In our campus, we now have two laboratories supporting this uh, diagnosis test. So yeah, I mean, we will have shorter doubling cases time. Can you briefly explain what the difference between the rapid diagnosis test and the more widely used PCR test is? The PCR requires more time. It requires around two to four days, and it's using the oral swabs, while the rapid diagnostic test is more using uh, serology, using uh, the blood prick, and then we test the antibody for that. But it's not as accurate, is it? It's faster, but... Not as uh, it's yeah. it's faster, but then it also has a late response because the antibody will appear, I think, seven to ten days after the infection. So there's a window period where you have an infection, but then it's not detected yet by the rapid test. So the policy mostly use this rapid test for the healthcare workers and also for contact tracing because for those who have close contact, for sometimes we expect that will be detected by this serologic test. And can you say something about the regional pattern of the spread? Um, most of the news have come out of Jakarta, where there have been mm -hmm. very large numbers of infections. What's the situation outside of Jakarta? How has the virus spread across the whole, um, I, whole country? Yeah, I think still the epicenter, the red zone, is the surrounding Jakarta. Jakarta, Bogor, and uh, some part of the West Java and Banten. But uh, we now see the cases in South Sumatra, and then in the Kalimantan, West Kalimantan, South Kalimantan, East Kalimantan, but still in the particular district. It's not uh, widely spread as it is reported. And also in Sulawesi, in uh, Makassar City, and also in Kendari. So that's the main uh, reported cases currently. But as I think you probably heard, there are a big gathering in Sulawesi and several other cities. So we may expect that it's already a silently uh, spread in the community, but with our current 
diagnosis capacity. The first cases would be of those who have a severe manifestation and it will come up later on. How well are the hospitals and the health workers in those regions prepared for this outbreak? I mean, presumably Jakarta would look like the place that is best prepared and yet it is struggling mightily. How about the preparations in the regions? I can say that it's not good. We are not prepared. I mean, before, I think the government is not really prepared and not thinking that the cases can be spread throughout the country. I think the first response when we had cases in Wuhan, the government used different strategy mostly to affect the economic impact. So we are not preparing the health system since early of the crisis. Well, it's still in Wuhan. So as a result of that, there are no massive problems. What are the most urgent problems on the ground? Is it lack of masks? Is it lack of training, lack of facilities, lack of ICUs? Where are the main problems? Probably a bit of everything, I suspect. I think all that you mentioned, I mean, we, we are not well prepared. We have experience when we have an avian flu and H1N1 pandemic in 2009. But since then, we don't exercise regularly. So the health system somewhat forget those preparedness. And then also in terms of the logistic, we don't have enough facilities. We don't have enough ICUs, let alone the ventilator, for example. And we also don't have required masks and suits for taking care of the patients. Yeah, you mentioned that the government was slow to respond when the mm -hmm. crisis broke in China first. Mm -hmm. um, so let's talk about the government's response in a bit more detail now. Mm -hmm. When the first cases were reported, when Indonesian politicians commented, a lot of people scratched their heads about these comments that were made, um, you know, people suggesting that um, praying will keep the virus away. How has the, the government's response evolved over time? I mean, sometimes you still hear comments that are, are not based apparently on any medical evidence. I think they're a bit late to realize that the crisis can be this huge. And uh, with this decentralization, it's difficult to coordinate in a swift manner. And also with the fragmented society after the political situation in Indonesia, it's also even harder to do that. So that's why it's part of the problem why the government cannot have a swift response after the outbreak, after they realize that the situation can be as worse as today. So who is driving the central government's response now? It seems that President Jokowi is not exactly firmly in control of the situation. or does not really issue very clear instructions. Do you know who his most influential advisors are in this crisis? In other countries, we often see presidents flanked by medical experts and they give the clear impression that they are listening to um, medical advisors primarily. Whereas you already alluded a bit to Jokowi seemingly prioritizing economic concerns or health concerns in this. Mm -hmm. One of the advisors, I think, uh, and also given the task is uh, Minister Luhut and he's the one who give a recommendation. But I think he also pick up with the uh, expert from that. But again, I think Jokowi, it's 
as his promises during the election that he want to ensure the economic growth of Indonesia. And that's promises, I think, is seen as also the weakness. So he tried to keep those promises while trying to maintain the adequate response of uh, the outbreak. And that's very difficult. He tried to make sure that there won't be any major economic crisis because of this COVID crisis. But in the end, there's a bit confusion how to prioritize, uh, for example, with this current policy, not to ask people to go home during the uh, eight festivities. And that's the reason behind it. Is it, it, it also involves a big economic transaction and also it will give a big economic impact if those policy implemented. I think it's uh, wishful thinking to think that <laughs> um, there yeah. will be no impact on the economy. Uh, it's just a matter of how much and how bad it will be. Yeah. Um, and you, you have mentioned the upcoming holidays. You know, Ramadan will begin soon and then Indonesians leave the big cities to return to their villages. There's a lot of debate about this, whether how that should proceed, whether it should proceed at all. Um, how is the government handling this uh, situation? What's the current advice? Should people go home to their villages or should they stay? A lot of people have already gone. I think the main opinion from the expert is that uh, we need to stop that movement as much as possible with the policy of not letting people go home during the festivities. But as I mentioned, I, uh, I think from the Jokowi side, it will be a, a huge impact on the economy. So what they try to do, this is what I understand, is that they will not have a firm policy of not letting people go home, but they will make those things more difficult to happen. For example, uh, it will make the airfare much more expensive for those who want to come home with the reason that you need to have more uh, space in the buses or in the airplane to have a good distance. And also, in meanwhile, it, uh, they will give incentive for staying in the Jakarta or in the Red Zone area. That's what I understand from the policy currently. And also uh, to prepare of those who are returned in the respective home areas to be quarantined for 14 days. And that will uh, make the eight holiday finish by the time they will finish the quarantine. And when they go back to Jakarta or the respective uh, area, they need also to be quarantined because they're moving along. Okay. If I can just uh, poke a bit further there, how would that be implemented? How would that be you know, controlled whether people are actually quarantining or not? So that's why they asked the uh, local government to prepare the quarantine facilities, to have checked all those buses, terminal and those things, and register all those uh, who are came home and then put into quarantine facilities. But how effective that will be implemented, it's something that we need to see in the upcoming weeks. And it's particularly controversial because many local governments, you know, actually do want to shut their regions down, right? They don't actually yeah. want to have people come. Yeah. 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 Can, can you give us your views on this argument between the Jacobi government and local governments about the right measures? 
many local governments are, are either proposing or already doing local shutdowns, whereas the national government tells them you have to get permission from us. Why is it such a difficult bureaucratic process in such an, you know, in such a time of crisis where urgency is required? I think one thing when we have this crisis, we have to have a coordinated response. And for this crisis, for the COVID, the problem is that we don't have a nationwide spread of the virus. So that's why I think I I understand the argument of the government that they need to take control, but also that they need to clearly communicate when and where those efforts should be taken. Yeah. I mean, Dracovia has appointed a task force for that, right? There is a COVID-19 task force yeah. uh, led by the National Disaster Mitigation Agency. Head. Yeah. How would you judge their work so far? Where where are the biggest deficiencies? What could they do better? So far, I think they make a good effort. I mean, compared to before, because before the coordination is very weak. Now with the command from the Central Disaster Agency, we have a ramp up response in every uh, local governments. But then the weakness will be because they are not really understand or capable with disease outbreak. They are more prepared for the disaster response. And there, there are differences. And that's something that makes the response a bit slow. It can be uh, speed up if, for example, district health office and professional health office are more involved in the uh, responses. Why do you think is the government so reluctant to integrate local governments in this process? Is there a political dimension to all this? Does Jokowi not want to be seen as being weak or following the advice from others? Or is this simply because Jokowi simply doesn't know exactly what he what he should do? From the layperson perspective, because I'm not a political scientist, I can see that this is still uh, in effect of rivalry after the election. The, the political dimension is very strong. I mean, from local government, also the political party driving the responses and it still feel that way. I mean, Jokowi, on the other hand, he also have weakness in the health sector and also the Ministry of Health is not responsive enough. But he tried to keep that up now with the response when he appointed this uh, National Disaster Agency. And we can see that we have a stronger response, but still the political rivalry is still there. And I think that's what he's afraid of. Mm, all right. So what's next? What uh, what do you think, just from a health perspective, from your background as an expert in this field, what do you think should be the next steps the government should be taking to contain the spread of the virus? I think there are several things that they need to do, particularly from the health perspective. From the modeling perspective, we see that in some areas, they are, uh, we will see already the transmission decreasing because with the small response, the herd immunity will uh, take into account. So we will see that they will have a smaller uh, transmission in the upcoming weeks. So that 
in those area we already reduce uh, transmission we don't need to have those locked down as someone proposed but then we need also to make all those cases uh, not spill over to those areas who still not see the outbreak particularly during the Ramadan and Eid festivities and that's why i think limiting the mobility during those season is critical for indonesia not to have the second wave of pandemic and the effectiveness of the current strategy depends on how the local governments and how the central governments uh, coordinate the central government should ensure that it's very difficult for people to go home during those days and also give incentives to stay in jakarta and in west java but also in the local government to have a strong preparation to quarantine of those who are coming home there's a, already a model in central java where uh, i can see there's a video of ganjar pranowo visited a village who provides quarantine facility and some of the returnee stay there already a week and they will be released after another week so if they can have those policy implemented effectively i think we can somewhat prevent the next uh, the second wave pandemic in indonesia okay just one brief follow up question mm-hmm. on that before we finish so you if you're suggesting that people should stay in jakarta and in the big urban areas rather than traveling what kind of support do these governments then need from the central government in order to deal with you know an outbreak that is already quite strong in those areas for example uh, jokowi already uh, mentioned that for those who are poor the electricity bill will be free also for those small businesses to have safety nets and that's something uh, really need to be implemented swiftly so th- these are financial assistance measures yeah. how about um in terms of the health sector what can the national government do in order to assist the local governments in the worst affected areas there i think now the problem with the logistic is that it's lack everywhere i mean globally there's a lack of uh, masks i understand that jokowi through different channel try to import that and uh, we see those coming in uh, we just received kits for pcrs this week and there's already sef- uh, sent to several areas uh, most affected areas also the government now developed a makeshift of quarantine for the suspected uh, cases so that uh, before it's only quarantine at home now it really separated from the community those kind of things uh, will also help to reduce the transmission rate social distancing remains basically at the heart of this how do you assess people obeying these kinds of rules obviously they're very new and especially the areas in Jakarta and West Java are very densely populated yeah that's not really good there are several data showing that the mobility is still high mm-hmm. and the transmission is still ongoing and with the low capacity of a diagnosis and care i think in the end eventually herd immunity will come up and then at that time the outbreak will be reduced 
All right. Well, let's hope that better leadership or stronger leadership will come from the government in the coming weeks and maybe some clearer instructions and you know, hopefully um, the right measures can be put in place, especially during the Moodic season. Yeah, yeah, I think that's uh, very critical. And I think the coordination between the central and uh, local government, particularly local governments of those who mostly mooted, will be very important. All right. Well, we're keeping a concerned eye on, well, on everywhere, not just Indonesia. It's obviously a global pandemic, but uh, particularly on, in Indonesia, we're hoping you stay safe. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank for you very much. I really, yeah, really appreciate you making the time to speak to us. So that was Dr. Riris Andono Ahmad from Gajamara University in Jakarta, mm-hmm. speaking with Dirk Tomsa on the Talking Indonesia podcast. Please join us again for the next episode on the 23rd of April. And don't forget that you can find the entire archive of the podcast at the Indonesia at Melbourne blog or you can subscribe via iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. Thank you for listening and till next time.